What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of PropG Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to First Bite, our Detroit Lions midweek podcast where we bring in a guest to talk all things Detroit Lions. We are just about ready to start our draft pick uh, series where we get to know each individual draft pick. But before that, we're doing a recap show. My name is Jeremy Reisman, by the way. I'm the producer over at Pride of Detroit. With me, as always, for First Bite, to co-host the whole ship is senior editor of Pride of Detroit at Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. Ryan Matthews is here. What's up, buddy? What is up, man? How many recap shows can we do? All of them. One more, one more, because we have a special guest. That's right. Uh, You know him. You love him. He's been part of the show plenty of times, especially during draft season. He's the director of Fantasy Points Data and Research over at Fantasy Points, formerly a PFF, co-host of the the Take Talk pod, also the host of On the Clock podcast. Brett Whitefield is back. Brett, welcome back, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Finally starting to recover. Family yeah. unfortunately came down with like strep throat, like Oof. late on day two of the draft. And I was in the middle of back-to-back six-hour streams, so it was a long weekend to say the least. But we're yes. we're on the other side. Everyone's on the on the come up. We're doing a lot better. So things Great. are looking up from here, man. Yeah, I mean it's it's been a full week. I think everyone's starting to get their sleep back from from that three night marathon here. But uh, let's let's get into it, Brett. We're Basically, I, w- I want to run through every pick, see what your thoughts are. We had a, a lot of your thoughts before the draft. I think Lions ended up getting a couple of people that you really like. Um, maybe maybe a lot of people that you really like, but maybe not just in the order that you were hoping for. So let's start with that that divisive day one and, and Jameer Gibbs, because um, I, I believe you're in my corner when it comes to running back value in the first round. But before we even get into that argument, I want you to talk about him as a player, because I know you actually have a very high grade on Jameer Gibbs. Yeah. So what's funny, Jeremy, is I didn't know just how high that grade was until after the draft. Uh, my analytics guy, my right hand guy at Fantasy Points, Chris Wecht, um, he's been trying to take my draft grades over because I've been doing it for nine years now and try to see like what's predictive, what's not, what positions am I weak at? We're figuring all that data out. So he had me compile all nine years of running back grades and we're going through them. And then Bold discovery, Jameer Gibbs is my fifth highest graded running back ever since, since you know, 2015 or whatever. So um, sandwiched between Saquon Barkley and Todd Gurley. So Gibbs is obviously a fantastic player. I think he's lived in the, the Bijan shadow this entire draft cycle. Yeah, Bijan is just such an exceptional talent. And unfortunately for Gibbs, like he kind of is the forgotten about guy when in one thing I found from my, my grades is like my grades actually are really predictive when it comes to draft capital. Uh, and in that range that Gibbs is in, every single one of those guys has been a first round pick or even a top 10 pick. So I think from that standpoint, we've maybe should have predicted Gibbs going a little bit higher than I did. I did have him in the first round, but had him at the back of the first round. Um, he was the 27th overall player on my board. But as far as like a skill set, I mean, I think everyone kind of knows what Gibbs is at this point. He is a dynamic pass game weapon. Um, he's a guy who can you can play in the slot. You can play wide receiver. That's not hyperbole either. 
a lot of GMs, when they draft a running back too high, they justify it right away by saying he's not just a running back. <laughs> it's actually true for Gibbs. He played almost a hundred snaps, you know, split out in the, in a wide receiver position last year, at Alabama, he ran like 80 routes from those positions. So this is a guy who actually was used that way, which is rare for the college level for a running back to get that kind of versatile usage. So he, he, he is the way that Brad has talked about him. Like he is legitimately not just a running back. He will be a pass game weapon. Um, probably not ever going to be a bell cow guy at 200 pounds, but he's a dude that has elite elusiveness, lateral quickness, acceleration, all the athletic measurables you look for in a, in a dynamic running back. And then he pairs that with like phenomenal vision, phenomenal ability to make guys miss. I mean, I think what's interesting about this draft class is they got two guys in Sam Laporta and Gibbs, and obviously we'll get to Laporta in a little bit, but two guys that are just incredible in, in the open field. Um, and it's, this is kind of the, the, the players that golf really needs to be successful. The accurate short throws, get those guys in space, use scheme to get these guys the ball and then, and then see what happens from there. So I've kind of like a macro question for you, Brett, in the sense of what the lions have done with their, with their running back position this off season, there, there was a tweet from Greg Rosenthal. It was like, I think it was after day one, but it was something like the, the difference between Jamal Williams and Deandre Swift and David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs, like, isn't that big. That was one of the worst tweets I've ever seen. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so can, can you at least expand on, we'll, we'll, we'll side, we'll, we'll, we'll put the Jamal Williams and David Montgomery thing on the side table. Tell me what the, what the selling point is on Gibbs being the back that unlocks this offense versus Deandre Swift. Yeah. So Swift, a couple things about Swift. One, we know about the toughness concerns, that was well-documented on hard knocks last year. It didn't get better, right? He obviously was pretty banged up. And when he was on the field in those moments, he didn't play particularly well. He also sat out some games. Toughness aside though, Gibbs, he's, he is what Deandre Swift is actually my working comp for him. I don't know if you follow Scott Barrett on Twitter, but he, he always tweets my, my funniest comps every year. So my working comp for Deandre Swift is, was if, or for Jameer Gibbs, if he was Deandre Swift taking like TRT or, some type of heavy steroid usage. Um, we, we don't need another suspension, Brett. <laughs> but I mean, his skill set is very similar to Swift's. Obviously, it's just a little bit more juiced up. It's like 10% more. It's like if he had an infinity gauntlet and he got one of the stones, like that's that's Jameer Gibbs, you know? So, um, but they do a lot of the same things. One thing I never really liked about Swift is I think he had really bad hands. Um, we saw this anytime he got a target like downfield, like that wasn't just at the line of scrimmage. He bobbled the ball a lot. He had, he had a couple of drops. Remember, was it the, may have been his first game in the Lions. It was the very first game. Yeah. The wheel route. Wheel route. He, I mean, against the Bears. Yep. Game, game losing drop. Yep. Right <laughs> so, um, and, and that, you know, he didn't, it didn't manifest in a ton of drops, but I just feel like they were never comfortable throwing him the ball downfield, which is why he didn't get used on a lot of deeper routes. Gibbs is not like that. Gibbs is his natural, like receiver hands. Um, and he just does everything that Swift does just a little bit better. Um, a little bit more elusive, a little bit more electric, a little bit faster, breakaway speed. I mean, just re really like an upgraded version of Swift. And that's, you know, not including the toughness aspect, which I think the fact that Gibbs should be more available itself makes him a more valuable player. I, I want two things on, on the positional value stuff, and then we'll move on to the next guy. Yeah. Um, first is, do you think there was an upgrade from Swift later in this draft that would have been worth it seeing that a guy like a chain and, and, and Tajay Spears go what late second, early third or whatever it was, would that have been better value for that pick? And then to go back, 
was there a pick that you would have much preferred either at six or after the trade down to 12? All right, let me handle the the second question first. Okay. So the issue, when people talk about positional value, I think a lot of people that like analytics just throw that term out there and they don't really know why, yeah. why it matters, but they, they're convicted in it and they're right. It does matter. But the reason it matters is because of the way you construct a roster. So for example, the moment Gibbs was drafted in the slot, he was, he becomes the 12th highest paid running back in the NFL. So conversely, if they were to take JSN there, Jackson Smith and Jigba, he's the 43rd highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. The surplus value now that you're getting at those positions is so far out of whack for Gibbs to get even close to net zero for what they're paying him. He has to dramatically outperform his draft slot. JSN has to modestly perform in that draft slot to get 43rd highest paid receiver value. Not to mention the fact that receivers are more valuable to an offense and running backs in general. You start combining that, like it's a pretty obvious reason these conversations are happening. The NFL has clearly stated that receivers are more valuable than running backs. Just look at the way they're paid compared right. to running. Um, yeah, I think I think that gets lost in the shuffle. No one, I don't hear enough t- people talking about the surplus value and how roster construction actually works. So right. um, that said, the trade back from six to twelve is the saving grace for the Gibbs pick, honestly, because that got them another premium pick. When the Gibbs pick happened, I was furious. Like there's actually a, there's a, a compilation video that was made by our producer at fantasy points. They will come out in this week of me going through the range of emotions I did during the draft <laughs> from throwing my headset to jumping up and down. Cause of Hendon hooker and all, <laughs> all kinds of crazy stuff. But I was, I was mad, like completely speechless. And then the more I thought about it, I, I don't want to say I like 180. I'm not like, oh, what a great pick. I've come to terms with it though. And it made sense. The Campbell pick is the one I'm furious about, but we'll get to that in a minute. The player I would have taken though at uh, at that spot is probably JSN or or Christian Gonzalez. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's get let's get into the the fury then here. Um, Jack Campbell. Let's again let's again start with the player itself um, because I don't think anyone can say they weren't surprised that the Lions fell in love with the guy just because of well both what he did on the field and because who he is as, as a competitor, as a person. So what do you like? What do you don't like about Jack Campbell, the the prospect? Yes. <clears throat> we were kind of talking about before the show, but this is a like a really hard draft class to like evaluate unbiasedly because they didn't draft any players I don't like. Yeah. I like Jack Campbell. He was my linebacker one in the draft class. Um or at least number one Mike linebacker in the draft class. When you read my scouting profile, profile on him, you're like, oh, wow, this sounds like a, a really fun player, like a good player. But it's just the, the it comes back to positional value, and I hate to do this again, but it's like Jack Campbell is immediately a top 25 paid linebacker in the NFL the day he was drafted. If they would have taken Miles Murphy there or Kalijah Kansi, Murphy would have been the 57th highest paid edge defender. Kalijah Kansi would have been in the high forties for defensive tackles. It's like, you know, there's so much surplus, but those guys wouldn't have, like, even if you, they're just become above average players, you're getting value out of that rookie contract for, to get value out of Jack Campbell. Now he's got to be a freaking stud from the day he steps on the field. Yeah. Not, not quite to the extent Gibbs does, of course, but you know, he's got to be at least a, a plus starter for you. So, um, but well, what, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was say going back to the player Campbell, like the reason I don't love off the ball linebackers 
from a positional data standpoint is they don't affect the pass game enough. There's three linebackers in the NFL that I would consider good, like good gate math changers in the pass game. It's Bobby Wagner, Levante, David, Fred Warner. Unless you have one of those guys, every dollar beyond league average you're paying them isn't worth it. The linebacker position is so hard to play. All you really need is average bodies there. Um, we, we talked about this on the pre-draft show, right, Jeremy? Yeah. Yeah. Like what these guys are asked to do down in and down out is insane. On one down, you are taking on a guard, having to stack and shut him and make a tackle at the line of scrimmage. On the next play, you're covering a slot receiver in space and like in some type of match coverage zone. On the next play, you're covering an athletic tight end in man coverage running downfield at them. There's not a, there's not people that can do all of these things together. And then maybe on third and 11, now you're part of the passers package and you have to have a good passers move, get home on a quarterback. They're, Dude, the, the amount of players that can do all of these things and juggle all of these responsibilities is really low. There's a reason linebacker playing the NFL is dreadful across the board. I mean, it's one of the worst positions in the NFL collectively. Um, and that's why everyone's chasing unicorns, right? Like, so why Tremaine Edmonds is getting 20 million a year. And ro- these, these are not good players. Like Devin White is not a good player in Tampa Bay. People, for some reason, go nuts over his skill set. And when you put on the tape, he is their liability in pass coverage. Like every single play, Go back to the playoffs last year and the year before, or two years ago and now the year before that. Anytime a team needed a first down, they they went at Devin White. Tremaine Edmonds in Buffalo, same thing. Kansas City, when they were in the playoff game, the one that went to overtime, every single crucial down, they attacked Tremaine Edmonds. Um, and that's what that's the problem with linebacker in the NFL. So I don't it's just a, it's a big miss from that standpoint. You could have got similar production in the in the third round, I think. Where so, so go good. I was just going to say, I, th- I think a lot of people see Jack Campbell's RAS card and they see a lot of green and they say, and they see a big number, Brett. I-, I think you turn on the tape and you see a guy who's a little bit stiffer than that. Right. And is, is that the concern? Because the three guys that you just listed, those are incredibly athletic guys too, yeah. but it seems like they move a little bit different than Campbell. Is, is that your biggest concern? Yeah. He's definitely not even close to the athlete he tested as. Um, some of it could be reactionary quickness in the pass game. Like I think his instincts in the run game are phenomenal. Like he, he diagnoses and triggers very quickly in the pass game though. Everything slow, like speeds up for him. He can't, he can't handle the speed of that. But even, even when he's moving, like he's, his range is semi-limited. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, I don't know how much tape you guys have watched, but when he, when he's pursuing a ball carrier, he has to really, really close the distance to get within their range. Cause he doesn't have the explosiveness to make a tackle from long distance. Um, it's a little abnormal to like, if, if you compare him to like a day in Henley from Washington state, like Henley can tackle a guy from freaking 15 yards away. <laughs> Cause he's so explosive. Like he closes in a hurry. Campbell doesn't have that closing speed. Um, and that, that is a concern. I don't think he's a bad athlete by any means, by the way, I'm not saying that. Um, I just don't think he's even close to the, the elite athlete he tested as functionally at least. So right. obviously those numbers aren't fake. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to uh, to day two. Let's uh, let's talk a little Sam Laporta. Um, this was a pick that I was kind of met on when I first when it first happened. But the more I kind of dove into the tape, the more I'm like, oh, we got another offensive weapon here, and 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 maybe a big one. So, um, where did where did Laporta rank on your tight end rankings to begin with, and and how do you think he fits into the Lions' offense? So I always say this with a caveat, but in my generic vertical board, got to remember I'm stacking this for if I was evaluating generically for all 32 teams, right. If you were then to start to parse that out and stack a board for each team, certain players would get ranks higher. Some would fall. Some would get pulled off completely because of scheme or whatever. 
Laporta was a guy that makes a lot more sense for the Lions than other teams because the way they play on offense. Um, that said, he was my my tight end four um, behind uh, Michael Mayer. Mayer was my tight end three, so he was he was right there. Um, for the Lions, though, I would probably flip those two. The, they don't seem to have a need for a guy like Mayer. Um, but Laporta, from a skill set standpoint, I mean, tremendously gifted route runner. Uh, he's he's pretty technical already. He was Iowa's only offense. He's a guy that can use him out wide. They can use, use him in the slot, in the backfield, in line. Um, he's a little, he's a tad undersized, but all these tight ends coming in this year were pretty small, actually. Kincaid was small. Mayer gets billed as this big, strong run blocker guy. He's only 250 pounds. Like, that's that's not that big. Yeah. Musgrave in Washington were the caveats there. They're super big, but everyone else is, you know, Will Mallory's 240 pounds. So, like, the, he, he's, I think he's the modern tight end. This is the size you're going for. Um, but on top of that route running, you're getting insane run after the catchability. And I'm excited to see what Ben Johnson does with him and getting the ball in his hands and letting him, letting him meet that way. Um, yeah. So I, I, I was comfortable with the pick, Jeremy, the, the thing that made me go cross-eyed though, is I was like, Oh my God, they're literally doing this despite me. They went running back linebacker, tight end in a row. <laughs> like, Holy crap. You can't, you can't like throw the positional value. It's almost seemed intentional. You know, like we're like, we're so anti-analytics. We're just, you know, we're just going to, you know, do everything we can to spite you guys. So that's is, how it's called. Is there anything to the point though, like that if you find unicorns at this position, if, if they're if they're so resolved in these guys, and like like you mentioned with with Campbell, there's only like two or three, four guys. And I know you probably don't think Campbell's going to grow into one of those guys because one, the odds are against him, and two, you just mentioned the athleticism. But is there is there value in finding such rare talent at positions where you don't have there, there's there isn't a lot of those guys. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if, if Campbell turned into Bobby Wagner, no one's gonna look back and be like, that was a terrible pick. <laughs> right. Stupid positional value, man. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> uh yeah, I mean Laporta and, and because he is such a pass game weapon, it it's not your traditional tight end conversation where this this he's basically a, a slot receiver. I mean, in right. a lot of ways he is. So um I think it's a little bit a little bit easier of a sell because of that. Same yeah, with well, to an extent. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, hey, let, let's throw all of the talk about like bad positional value, all of that, right out the window, and uh, go to pick forty-five, which I know like everybody loved, right? It like I felt like that was the turning of the tide for the entire Lions draft. It's almost like every national analyst was like, "Oh, forget about the three picks. Look at all the value they got from Brian Branch." And I, I know you love Brian Branch, so can you just tell us why? Yeah, for sure. So. The Laporta pick kind of perked me up a little bit. I was like, okay, I, I see that. I like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Branch pick happened, and I was freaking through the moon, man. Pants off. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, I wrote my my profile on Branch, and I thought he was the safest player in this entire draft. Um, and, and it felt like they were trying to be safe with Gibbs and Campbell. Like, hey, we got high marks on these guys. Might be a little early, but it doesn't matter. They're the top guys on our board. Well, Branch for sure checks that box, and he plays a premium position as a, a slot corner. Um, but everything he does from a leadership standpoint, from um, an instinct standpoint, like this, uh, there's been a lot of talk this offseason uh, on football Twitter about like missed assignments and how valuable it is to find guys who don't miss assignments. Brian Branch, I don't think missed a freaking single assignment last year. I'm not kidding. Like he is so dialed into what he's supposed to do, what every guy's role on defense is. It is actually unbelievable to watch. Those instincts are crazy. Um, the fact that he gives you so much versatility too, and you know, it's, there, it seems like they're loading up on guys that can do that with 
you know, Cam Sutton, you know, Will Harris, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, now um now branch. It's just it, it provides the defense a ton of value. And my comp for him actually was Chauncey Gardner Johnson. So getting both those guys together is is really interesting. Is, yeah. is there a reason why he slipped, Brett? Do you think? Like, I mean, you, you talked about it a little bit there, but like, I mean, he you know, 44 picks go by. Brian Branch isn't off the board. This was a guy who was like consensus, like high teens guy. I don't, I mean, you can say the 40 maybe is an obvious thing. Like for teams that view him as a cornerback or a slot corner, you, the 40 can be a little concerning. Like, eh, maybe you're not going to be able to play man against Tyreek Hill. That would be a stupid ask anyways. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but then, and then for the teams that have him viewed as like a safety, well, positional value starts to come in. You know, safeties traditionally don't go off the board unless they're really special until the second round, second, third round, which we saw. There was like a run on safeties like shortly after Branch went off the board. So, um, yeah, th- those would be the only things I can think of. I do. One thing I love about Branch, he was invited to the, the draft. Yeah, He was one of what, three players that didn't get drafted or four players. The other three went home and Brian Branch stayed there to walk across that stage. That's the most Lions Dan Campbell <laughs> thing ever, by the right. way. Like. I, yeah, I just I just love that. Like as soon as I as soon as I saw that, I was like, "Yep, he just he just proved all the the character stuff right there." Just being a being a guy, he did not care about the embarrassment. Wanted to be wanted to hear his name called, and um, I think those other guys will regret not walking across that stage. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and it's interesting you bring up the, the the smarts, right? Because I feel like that that is something that I think the Lions have targeted hard this off season. And, and you, you don't understand why, right? A lot of their struggles in the past two years on this defense were miscommunication issues. There were, were people not on the same page. And so you, you get a guy like Cam Sutton to be a, a, a captain of your defensive backfield. And, and now you got another really, really smart guy that, that Nick Saban um, said only great things about. So um, I'm with you there, um, but let's take a break. Uh, we will get to, what, uh, what I think is going to be a fun conversation about the, the Lions' next pick. And then Brett uh, has has done some, some good film work on the Lions' late round picks, which may have sur- surprised a lot of people uh, in the draft community, but uh, we'll get into why they made those picks when we come back here on First Bite with Brett Whitefield. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. And we are back here on First Bite 
breaking down the Lions 2023 draft class with Brett Whitefield again here. Let's push into the third round and let's talk Hendon Hooker. Brett, you were a guy that was a, a fan of him in the pre-draft process. So tell me your, your thought process when the when the Lions pick him and, and how are you feeling about it now? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> when that pick came through, I, I went from like concern to I'm in I'm in heaven right now like <laughs> this is this is fantastic uh yeah I, I I think I yelped jumped out of my chair fist pumped actually I did basically the Brad home celebration but I did it for a quarterback not a running back <laughs> so, Shaquille O'Neal has a famous quote uh don't oh my god what is the quote I'm gonna I'm gonna totally screw it up it's Butcher uh, it. it's great don't don't fake the funk do you know the quote? No, I don't. <laughs> but I'm I'm enjoying don't, watching don't, you twist in the wind. Oh here. no, no, I got it. I just, I just <laughs> it's don't fake the funk on a nasty dunk, and that's what Brad Holmes is doing when he drafted Jameer Gibbs at twelve. <laughs> I was not doing that when that Lions picked Hendon Hooker in the third round. I was legitimately excited, and it was a nasty dunk, like nasty in a good way. And I, I got up and I celebrated, fist pumped the air, and let out a scream, uh, a war cry. And I was ecstatic. This was this was uh, the saving pick of the draft for me. Um, I think Hennon Hooker had first round talent and pedigree. Obviously, fell down the board for some obvious reasons: age, ACL, you know, gimmicky scheme that he's coming from. But as far as physical talent and raw attributes, I think he's a a very very good quarterback prospect. Do you view him as the successor to Goff if they choose not to re-sign him? I don't think we know that yet. I view him as a, a really, really good dart throw at it. But every quarterback you draft is, is a dart throw. There's no there's no proven anything. Right. Well, so so let me ask you this. With Hendon Hooker, do you feel more comfortable with Brad Holmes and his ability to evaluate quarterbacks? Well, yeah, because I was almost convinced he was cool with Nate Sudfeld for, <laughs> uh, for a while. And I'm still kind of worried he is, Brett. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I Yeah. I'll riot. I'd like, oh god! I just hope Hooker gets healthy <laughs> quick, man, because I I can't do Sudfeld as the best. Like, la- so in the situation they were dealt last year, Sudfeld was a good pivot off of Blau, and I even forget the other blow. Boyle, <laughs> Boyle, um, that was a good pivot, right? But then he said all offseason how they need to upgrade the room, and Hendon Hooker is an upgrade, but we don't know when right. because he's got the ACL plus the the you know learning curve he's going to need transitioning to an NFL offense. So I still am expecting him to upgrade the room. I don't want to take the attention off hooker though, but I still hope he upgrades the room. <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater. So. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for placating Ryan there. Um, but let, let's get into why you, you like Hendon hooker so much, why you think there's so much tremendous upside. What do you like about the traits that he has and what he does well? Yeah. So three things he, he has like unteachable skills that just, are the, the foundation of good quarterback play. He's a very accurate passer of the football. His mechanics are consistent. They're tight. They're textbook. It, it leads to him delivering the ball accurately on damn near every throw. He does not miss. Um, if he is ever going to miss it, they're going to, they're what we call safe misses, right? They're 60 yards downfield. He might hang the ball on the edge of the sideline rather than putting it on the cornerback's lap. So um, only misses safe. He does not turn the ball over. Um, really, really good decision maker. I know the Tennessee offense, he's making a pre-snap read for the most part, and and that's it. Not necessarily reading out a ton of concepts. That's okay. He was pretty much always right when he made the pre-snap read, which is which is phenomenal. 
Um, and then three, he, his pocket management is great. Um, he, he stand like my favorite thing about him is he's willing to stand in the pocket and make hard throws as he's getting hit. Um, it's a, it's a, something you can't teach. There's a lot of quarterbacks who won't, aren't willing to do that. That's usually what separates good from great. I mean, how many times have we seen Tom Brady get smashed in the face as he's delivering a ball over the middle of the field? Um, it's, it's, it's tremendous. So I, I like those three components to me as what really set him apart as a good QB prospect, not to mention like the arm talent itself is really good. Like he can attack the defense at all three levels of the field. Does he have Will Levis's arm? No, but he's got a really, really freaking good arm. Uh, probably somewhere on the spectrum of, I would say, um, shoot, maybe like a, a Joe Burrow to Daniel Jones, like somewhere in on that spectrum. So um, he can rip it if he needs to. Can, can you talk about that transition though? Like, is there, is there a blueprint? Is there a player? Is it, is it common for someone to come from such a simplified read offense to make it in the NFL in, in a I, successful way? I think simplified is the wrong term to use. Okay. Cause he is having to make legitimate pre-snap reads. Like he's seeing the alignment he's getting. Um, basically he's got a concept to each side of him. He's got a, a, you know, half field read to one side and a half field read to the other side. So he first has to decide which, which read he's going with, you know, half left or half right. And then from there he has to decide based on how the, the defensive backs lock and level in that usually it's a stack or bunch formation. He has to decide who the target is. The free target's going to be basically. Yeah. And he's making those decisions quickly and delivering the ball accurately. Um, so I don't think, you know, simplified is the right word. I do think it's maybe, I think gimmicky is a better word. Like he's going to have to understand defensive coverages a little bit better at the NFL. Like, and I'm not saying he doesn't understand them now, but processing that post snap could be the big learning curve for him. Cause it, it, the reality is like in college teams play primarily quarters, you know, they're, they're lining up two deep safeties playing quarters or, or rolling a guy back after the snap for that, uh, that deep quarter across the middle of the field. He's going to see so many varieties of coverages. He's going to see a lot of rotating safeties. Um, they don't have the wide hashes, all that. How does, what does Hendon look like when he has to throw the ball in two tighter windows, I think is the biggest concern. It's not necessarily reading stuff out. It's, Hey, when you, when you don't have an ocean to work with here and, and get and lead your receiver into, um, what does that look like? How, do, how does that affect your accuracy and timing and anticipation and all that stuff? Yeah. Well, hey, I, I guess speaking of the unknowns when it comes to the quarterback position, because the Lions might be in this transitionary phase, one thing we do know is that they wanted to get really big in the middle of their defense. And, you know, Brad Holmes takes a good chunk of day three draft capital, moves up, gets Broderick Martin. That guy's massive, right? I mean, he's like 6'5", almost 340 pounds. What do you like about him as a, you know, as, as a run defender? Um does he add anything to the uh, you know the pass rush? And do you think that Brad Holmes was kind of vindicated in, in in using that chunk of day three draft capital to move up and get the guy? He traded three picks for one, right? Yeah, yeah. How, do you remember off the top of your head how far back the first one was that he gave? It was in the fourth. It was a fourth and two fifths, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yep. So it came up probably what thirty spots total, <clears throat> something like that. Yeah, so probably a little bit overpay. I wonder if some of that was just like they had more picks than they had available competitions on the roster. I mean, the ro like go up and down the roster. There's like there's there's some log jams in certain spots. Oh yeah, that's that's why I thought they weren't going to use all of their picks to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Now, granted, you 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 kind of wish maybe he used those a little differently. Like maybe get a pick for next year, move those around that way. But hey, if they really like the guy, that's so in a vacuum. I like Broderick Martin, the player. 
I'm okay with where they took him. I didn't love giving up three picks for him, even though those, those picks are more dart throws than anything, but um, yeah, Martin gives you, so I actually thought he was a better pass rusher on tape than run defender. Hmm. That's not to say he's not a good run defender. I just, that level of competition at Western Kentucky, like it, it's bad. (laughs) There's some really bad offensive linemen. He he was whooping them rushing the passer and it, his lateral quickness seemed crazy. He's like the opposite of Jack Campbell to me where he tested poorly, I think in his pro day. Right. But you see legit lateral quickness on tape. You're like, Oh my God, how did a guy that size just change directions that fast and make a tackle? Um, so like that's, really cool. He's got a couple really good developed passers moves as well. He's got a club rip that I really like. He's got a club swim that I really like a couple inside counters. He's got like a little hump move. And then obviously just the length and the power too. like, for, for a guy coming from a small school to be that big and have developed passer moves is rare. Like you don't, there's a lot of like power five guys like Brian Brisset who have no developed passer moves. They're just literally winning on pure athleticism. So that it's really strange to see a small school guy be so developed. Um, I, I think he gives him a little juice as a, like a pocket pushing nose tackle. I know they liked Aleem playing three tech last year and, if you look at the numbers, Aleem was significantly better at three tech than he was at, at nose tackle. So yeah. I like to move from yeah. that standpoint as well. It's like, we're going to get the most out of Aleem now, which was another premium pick, you know, third rounder in, in their first year. So, um, and I, I think Broderick will develop as a run defender. Um, it's, it's really more just him dropping his anchor and understand because anytime you get a, go- a guy that's that tall and that long, the tendency is to play high. So sometimes he shoots right straight up out of his stance. And when you're playing that level of competition, it doesn't always matter, right? Because those guys aren't going to be as strong as him or as big as him. But when you get to NFL guards, they will make you pay for that. Like I always talk about leverage and leverage has three components to it. There's three phases of leverage. There's hand usage, there's body position, and there's pad level. Um, I would say he checks the hand usage box really well. And his body position is usually really, really good as well. He's good about getting hip to hip on that third step. It's that pad level he's really and it sounds cliche i think of like the rod marinelli days <laughs> right pad level. pad level sucked it was terrible but yeah i mean it's the truth though with, with with broderick he's got to work on that pad level he's got to work on staying low staying compact uncoiling rolling those hips through and blowing those guards backwards if he gets that down he's gonna be a, he, he could be a, a really good contributor year one that was going to be my next question is like, how, yeah. how quickly can he contribute? But let, let's, let's move on. Let's, let's talk about Colby Sorrisville, another small school guy, William and Mary, uh, four, four year starter there. Uh, maybe five. I can't, I think it might be five. Um, another Dan Campbell guy um, watching the tape is pretty silly as, as we were talking about before you went on. So I guess what, what is his developmental curve going to be like? Is he a guy that you see maybe staying at tackle, maybe kicking inside to guard? Is he a guy that could take over the guard spot maybe as early as next year when, when they're going to need someone at right guard? He, so in honor of like May the fourth day, the sure. Star Wars day, Jeremy, you're going to love this. Great. But his tape, when you watch it, it is funny. Like I, there was moments I actually laughed because he just is throwing guys. He looks like Grogu from the Mandalorian, just, just picking a guy up and just chucking him with his mind. It was, the, it's the weirdest thing ever. Like, how is this happening on a football field? Right now? But it's, it's just a level of comp thing, you know, and yeah. this guy was a very experienced player. By the time he was a senior, he had started 40 something games. He's, yeah. you know, I think he probably knew he was going to be in the NFL and just, just a different pedigree player for that, for that conference. But yeah, I don't, I think he's a guard probably the, 
you know, the 30, what, just over 32 inch arms. Like I'm not, I'm not a stickler on that front. I, I, I would rather try a guy at tackle if that's where he's comfortable, because I think an above average tackle is better than a good guard. If that makes sense. Sure. It's more valuable. I should say not better, but it's more valuable going back to positional value. But ultimately uh, I think he's probably a guard. The problem with that is he, I think he will lack some functional strength at the NFL level. Um, another guy that can get out of control with his pad level, actually. Hmm. Um, what what stands out for him as like a huge positive is his movement skills. Like he's a really good athlete. Him working to the second level is like flawless, like really, really good feet. Feet and hands are always synced up, gets gets to those linebackers, uncoils those hips, drives with power, like really good stuff. Um, it's going to be really good in their run scheme, you know, having him work to the second level. I don't know how quickly he can develop that anchor and that that strength functional strength element he's going to need to play guard in the nfl because i don't know I, I can't imagine him holding up against like say a dexter lawrence or something right now like he would he would throw him like a bowling ball yeah so do you, do you kind of see his path to the roster as he could be matt nelson replacement like the when they want to go big and they want to have that six offensive lineman seems like a really maybe to lessen the learning curve maybe for him in his rookie season hey we're gonna put you out here be athletic get to the second level yeah that's a that's a great role for him obviously um, I think the guy that's going to push Nelson is the undrafted kid from Baylor. Like I, I really think he's got a chance to, to push Nelson Nelson's spot on the roster. Uh, all right, let's move to the lions, uh, final draft pick, uh, Antoine green out of North Carolina wide receiver. We spoke a little bit before the show. You like this guy a lot. So tell us, tell us what the lines are getting and, and maybe what's, what's a shot that this guy not only makes the roster, but maybe, maybe even makes a rookie impact. Yeah, my my own podcast on the clock. We're doing a, a drafts recap series, and one of the things we're we're pointing out are surprise picks that we think could surprise people with their production. And we picked Antoine Green as one of the guys um, from a developed skill set standpoint. He's going to give you a lot of what DJ Chark was brought here to do. Now, is he on the same level as DJ Chark? No, not right now. He's not. Not even close to the same pedigree. Chark was a second round pick. You know, played at LSU, which is like you know, a blue blood school um, green comes from a, a wonky offense. Like at UNC, he was basically asked to do two things, run a slant and run verts. And 80% of the time it was a vert. He's running a nine route or sometimes a post. Um, but the, the vertical skill set he has developed is really, really solid. He has a really good release game. He's physical to line of scrimmage. He knows how to use his hands and his feet to get off press. Once he gets off press, he has, he's really good about changing tempo in his route develop generates late separation in those routes those vertical routes really good ball tracking skills really good hands obviously the the numbers speak for themselves he averaged 19 yards a catch in college which is bonkers nutty um and he was never really the the number one option there obviously he i think as a sophomore he had um diami brown and josh downs on the team last you know last two years he's he's second fiddle to josh downs so yeah i mean uh vertical skill set i i think he he could potentially get some run at X receiver. I don't know about this year, but I think in, in years to come for sure. I think he will surprise people. It's just nice to have a guy there now because it feels like yeah. the, the wide receiver room took a pretty big gut punch a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Yeah. You got some there, right? Oh, no, sorry. You made, yeah. you made a noise. Yeah. <laughs> I did, but Brett did too. And I wanted to give him the floor, but I, I guess my only question was like, was there a point in the draft where maybe you were clamoring for the lions? Like, Oh, Hey, like this could be a good spot to get a wide receiver for some value. Yeah. There, there are a couple guys. So end of the third round, um, Michael Wilson 
got drafted by the Arizona Cardinals. I would have loved to, he would have started at the at X for the Lions day one. Like, yeah. Best, so like best route this is this is the spot they move up to get Broderick Martin, right? Yeah. So like, yeah, okay. And I'd, I'd much rather have. I think you can find Broderick Martins later in the draft, or you know, they're like Puna Ford was available for God's sakes. He's going to do similar things. So um, I would I would have much rather have like a Michael Wilson or even like the fourth round Tyler Scott. You know, incredible deep threat. Especially if you're going to miss Jamison for six weeks, Tyler Scott can give you a lot of the same looks from a scheme standpoint. Um, he is a math changer. Even later than that, like A.T. Perry was a guy that I loved. Now, I don't know why A.T. fell to the sixth. I've, I've heard people say there was some uh, medical stuff there that wasn't really public or, or media driven, um, which is unfortunate because I, I think he's a really good player. But um, I would have liked dart throws to any of those guys as well earlier. All right. Since we'll close things out here, I'm going to I'm going to we're going to do like a quick uh, superlatives thing. Ooh. Give me favorite pick. Best value pick and pick you would have made. Pick I would have made like instead of one. Yes. Okay. Easy, 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 easy. All right. Um, best or favorite pick Hendon Hooker mm-hmm. third round. Um, I do think they legitimately got a, a, a dart throw at a, a high level starting quarterback in the NFL. It might not pan out. You might just get a really good backup out of it. Either way, it's a, it's a good, it's a good pick. Um, best value pick Brian branch. Easy. Those those two are interchangeable, by the way. I could go branch is my favorite. Hooker is the best value. Well, you're such a value guy that yeah. the best value pick is the best pick. Yeah. So, but Brian Branch probably best value. Um, you know, tremendous football player, versatile, premium position, all that stuff. Coverage savant can defend the run. There's really not anything he can't do, actually. He's a really good blitzer, too, actually. So pretty, pretty nuts. Um, and then pick i would have made instead of jack campbell at 18 i would have drafted miles murphy edge from clemson fair enough that's brett whitefield brett tell the people where they can find you what they can see of yours maybe uh, some content draft content maybe both yeah. pre and post draft that uh, that they might be interested in yeah so um i'm at fantasypoints.com you can find all my written content there uh you can find me on ryan's phone um, I'm also on Twitter at BG Whitefield. I have two podcasts in the fantasy points feed. One is called uh, take talk. That's a weekly NFL pod. We talk a lot of roster construction, high level X's and O's type discussions. And then on the clock is my daily draft podcast. Now that's only daily for another week after this week. And then it'll be going to weekly as we transition to more of a, a 2024 approach. Um, once we're done recapping this draft. And then, um, you know, my prospect guide on fantasypoints.com is, is free. All you have to do is create a free fantasy points login. You can access that. There's 150 plus write-ups in there. Good stuff. And we are launching, Jeremy, our fantasy points data tool. The thing they brought me in to do is finally being launched a year later. It is going to be an absolute game changer for the fantasy betting football community, high level data. Think Think like what you're used to with PFF, except we're giving everything to you. High level, you know, coverage type stuff, you know, scheme type stuff, past concept. It's going to be really freaking sweet. Um, that will be available in like a month ish. So and that, it won't necessarily be cheap, but it's not going to it's going to be well worth the money for sure. There you go. SB, SB Nation is paying for it anyways. And, well, and <laughs> if, if, if it's a, a betting tool, it, it essentially it pays for itself, right? yes but i don't like promoting that because it's very hard to be better if you're not already a good better true 
I'm kidding, by the way. Uh, but Brett, thank you for coming on, man. Always good talking ball with you. Uh, and uh, we'll we'll bring you we'll bring you back soon. Sounds good, man. I love being here. Thank you. All right. Thank you all for listening. We will be back. Uh, no live call-in show this week, but we will be back for the main POD cast on Monday night. Join us there, twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit. But until then, for Ryan, for Brett, for everyone watching here live on twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit, good night. It's Cass. Be kind. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.